0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and uh, I uh, we're going to Followed through with some of our uh, examination of uh, ideological possession. Uh, since it's such a problem since the beginning of man. Is that we are possessed by the idea that we think something is right or correct or true. And then we need a great deal of external influence to get us to recognize the fact that what we believe to be true just isn't so. Been doing a lot of work this morning and for the last week uh, dealing with a conversation that uh, with other people trying to understand what they're thinking actually is consisting of that uh, possesses them so that they cannot see the real truth. They have this ideology, this religious belief, this way of thinking, this assumption of what is true and what is not true. And if you present them contrary evidence, they cannot accept it because it would require a certain amount of humility. The fact that they have been deceived, that they have been incorrect over the, 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 the some years of their life or, uh, a period of time at least that they are incorrect in their assumptions, and people just do not want to do that. They are, they are more, it is more important to them to feel right, to imagine that they're right, to believe that they're right, than to actually know the truth. They do not really want to know the truth. They want to know or think. Or feel that what they already know is true, and anything to the contrary to that is literally that they consider it an attack on themselves. And they're, it's like they are submerged under the water, and they, they, they cannot get their head above that, their head out of the sand. We have all these uh, metaphors, like, uh, uh, you know, get their head out of, something or other that they cannot see. And, of course, Christ was talking about the same thing, the blind leading the blind. And you say you see, so therefore you remain blind. And there was lots of reference to the fact that uh, my sheep hear my voice, and those who are not my sheep do not hear my voice. They don't get it. They don't understand. And the problem one of the big problems is is that there's people out there calling themselves the preachers, of God, the the church, the you know the uh, they call themselves Christians, and they go out and espouse a ideology about Christianity that just ain't so. Doesn't match up. Doesn't fit with what is actually the historical record, which is the Scripture. As as faulty as Scripture may be, as faulty as the different translations of Scripture might be. As, uh, varied as the copies that come down to us, at one time we only had a few copies, now we have, you know, thousands of different sources of the biblical texts, with thousands of, upon thousands of different discrepancies. So which one do you accept? And of course, a lot of people want to accept the King James Bible. And, uh, one person wrote, King James changed the word ecclesia, which is the Greek word defined as called out assembly or congregation? To the word church, comes from the old English and German word pronounced kirke, in Scotland it was kirk. Essentially, we made Christianity something it it's not. Have have to get back to our roots. Uh. That's what he says. We have to get back to our roots. The Word of God. Today's Christian communities look nothing like the Book of Acts or any of the congregations in various regions and cultures throughout the New Testament. Well, that's true. Except for, you know, how far do you want to take it? And this is one of the things about logical arguments or statements and I was just talking to somebody from Sweden the other day and they were talking about all the people in Sweden who have had debates with, uh, with some of my family who have gone over there and, uh, they, one of the problems is the definition of words like socialism and capitalism. If you were to discuss that with them over there, they have different definitions than we have. Well, well, of course, they have a different language, but if you're going to speak in English, you need to use English definitions. And there is a definition of socialism and there is a definition of capitalism that have been very consistent uh, for those terms since they were invented, because those are invented terms. And capitalism is not a political and economic system. Capitalism is simply a system that means that the, the means of production are held by individuals. That's that's it. It's not a political uh, philosophy. It, it doesn't have anything to do with whether you're in a democracy or a republic or in a communist government, a socialist government. It's just the means of production, which is mostly your labor. Because, I mean... You can say, well, you know, gold and silver and and iron and wood are all means of production. You know, the, what you grow on the land, that's a means of production. So the land itself. But the reality is property rights are just a result of what's proper. And, you know, you may have property rights on a piece of land uh, to grow an orchard. But somebody else may have property rights on the same land to travel across it. They may have an easement or a right-of-way to travel right through the middle of your orchard and come out the other side. And uh, they have that right. And you you can have multiple use and multiple property rights on the same, you know, geographical location. And, and people have to think those things out and, and account for that in their debates uh, concerning these terms. Uh, That they're using, but capitalism is simply the private ownership of the means of production, which again, like I say, is mostly your labor and some raw materials that you may have a right to because you mined them out of the ground. They were there in the ground and you went and started to take extract them from the ground, whether it's uh, you planted a tree and it grew up apples, you have a property right to those apples. Because they would not be there in in a condition in which you can use them if you hadn't planted the tree and watered the tree and pruned the tree and protected the tree from, you know, elk and deer or what have you. So, therefore, you have invested some of your labor, which you have a right to, in that producing that fruit. So, you have a property right in that fruit. Now we can debate the nuances of that, and you say, well, you didn't make it rain, you, you know, you didn't invent apples. Well, uh, the fact is, is you could breed an apple, uh, or, or produce an apple, or graft an apple into, uh, onto rootstock, uh, root rootstock, and yeah, you, you're 90% of the production of that apple. Uh, so, yeah, you have a property right in that apple. Now, In other systems, such as socialism, you don't have an individual property right in that apple. The collective has a right to that apple. And they can take that apple away from you if they so deem. Now, socialism is a political and economic system, and it has a variety of ways in which it can function. You know, a top-down authoritarian, a democratic system, a... You could elect a certain party and it dictates, uh, you know, the annual plan and who gets what and everything goes in a common storehouse and then somebody has the right to distribute that and determine what your needs are. And that's the problem with socialism is that it lends itself to tyranny because it centralizes power. Even in a democracy, it centralizes power in at least 51% of the people. And in, you know, like a communist government, uh, it will, you know, the party, the communist party will have the dictatorial power. Supposedly you can vote them out, but then the next one will have the dictatorial power. It's not in the hands of the individual. And early in America, when they had uh, attempts at colonizing in Plymouth and in Jamestown... They brought a a socialist communist type precept to the colonies and they had common storehouses and everything that was produced went into the common storehouse and was distributed according to the needs of the people. And they thought that was a good idea, but everybody starved at the end of every year. There was never enough food. The year that they ended that idea and said what you produce is yours, you put it in your own storehouse starvation ended. Did that mean everybody produced enough? No, everybody did not produce enough. But those who did not produce enough, they could go and beg from those who did produce enough and they could share if they so chose. Well, guess what? People started to work a little bit harder because they knew they were going to have to depend upon their own resources. And those that didn't work hard enough or maybe some sort of disaster took place, They had to come with hat in hand and ask for help. That was humiliating. Well, humiliation is not necessarily bad. It it cultivates a humble heart. And with that humble heart, they got to question, maybe I didn't work hard enough. Maybe I did not store my food well enough. Maybe I I could have done things better. And they did the next year and the year after that and there was a range of prosperity that took place in America that took place nowhere else in the world and it wasn't it was because of capitalism and now capitalism in America seems to be having a lot of trouble at least in the the last few decades but the reality is, is that's not just capitalism you have cronyism corporatism you have a great deal of socialism that has come in to America. Uh You have a great many people who choose not to work because it's easier to be on uh welfare than it is to go to work. So all these things come about and they uh, begin to change, but you have to define the terms. So it, the individual was talking about in the King James Bible, the word ecclesia, as if King James... Uh, I don't know if they're referring to the actual guy, King James or the King James Bible, because the Bible didn't really change something. People wrote down the word church instead of ecclesia. They translated the word ecclesia in the church. He says it's defined as the called out assembly or congregation. What it actually means is it's the called out assembly or called out congregation. It isn't just an assembly. It isn't just a congregation. It's a called out. That's what the word means, ecclesia. Now, they translated that into church. Well, there's nothing wrong with translating that into church as long as you define church as the called out assembly or called out congregation. But now, if you define church as something else, it's a building, it's a hierarchical organization, well, then it's something else. And then you have to take into consideration We're talking about the Ecclesia of Christ. Well, the Ecclesia of Christ or the Church of Christ has other parameters to define its existence that have been put in place by Jesus Christ. Such as, you know, now who did Jesus call out? Did he call out all the people? No, he called out his ministers, his little flock. And he he put requirements on them. If you're going to be one of my disciples, you have to sell all you have. And, uh, and follow me and do what I do. He was rich. He made himself poor. Sounds like they have to make themselves poor too. Uh, sounds like they have to own all things in common. Uh, because of the fact that, uh, Jesus allowed, there were people giving funds to Jesus Christ. Their substance. Some of the richest people in Judea were supporting Jesus' ministry. What was he doing with those funds? We know from the text that some of those funds went to take care of the poor and needy. And Because of the oils that were being put on his feet and someone complained, well, we could have sold that. They could have given us the oil. We could have sold that and put the money in the fund to help take care of the needy. So, you know, and, and that was a typical scene approach is that, you know, if they had oils, they w- excess, if anything, they would sell it so that they would have more funds to help or they would turn it into something. Levites did that. If you gave, you were supposed to give to the Levites all the time at the feast, you were supposed to give them extra. And so if you came to the feast and you brought wheat or you brought olive oil or you brought Aromatic oils, or whatever it was that you were going to bring to the feast as a gift, you would give a large portion of that to the Levites. The Levites, in turn, could take those commodities and turn them into other commodities that they had greater need of. Well, greater need for themselves? Well, they were supposed to serve the tents of the congregation, the tabernacle of the congregation, so they were. They were constantly taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of society. This is part of their job. This is what Corbin was all about. Your sacrifice goes to them, and they help take care of the needy. But they couldn't compel your offering. You only tied to them according to their service. They did a good job. You gave them more. And then they did a better job. And if they stopped doing a good job, then you didn't give to them. That's how the government of Israel worked. That's how the early church worked. Is that how your church works? If that's not how your church works, then your church is not the ecclesia of Christ. doesn't matter what James, King James calls it. It's just not... See, we I know guys who think they're in the kingdom because they think they've left the system. But that isn't what... Jesus doesn't say, enter the kingdom by leaving the system. Christ says, enter, seek the kingdom... And his ministers, his appointed ministers, were to maintain an entrance to the kingdom. And he also commanded his ministers to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. It says in companies, symposia, which is a small group, in ranks of fifty and ranks of one hundred. He commanded them to do that. And then... Take care of one another with loaves and fishes or whatever it is that you have. So that's that's what the church is supposed to be doing and a lot of other things besides. And people don't seem to get that. At least the people on this particular group that were discussing this didn't seem to get that. So I come along. am Am, am I practicing ideological subversion when I point out to them that their view of the church, their version of the church established by Christ falls short of what Christ said. And that's, that's of course what I uh, was pointing out on their network over and over again, that uh, there there were things that they were missing. I sent them the article on Ecclesia. Yes, the word Ecclesia was called out uh was the called out. That's what mean, it means, called out. Uh, before Jesus uh, called out the apostles, uh, Moses had called out the Levites and uh, 70 who were taken to the temple where the Holy Spirit was to bless them and they were to help facilitate this temple of God before there was a stone temple. There, there was no stone temple at that time. It was just a tent, just a tabernacle. And Jesus also called out men, including a group of 70, who he blessed with the Holy Spirit and sent out. And they did all kinds of things and miracles showed up and they were surprised. It wasn't them doing these things. These miracles kind of followed them wherever they went. There was miracles that took place. So the early church provided all the social welfare for Christians. Who did not seek the free bread of Rome, nor the benefits of the fathers of the earth, which we explain in articles. You know, and I gave them a link to the Ecclesia, our Ecclesia article at Preparing You, and there underneath the picture you can see some of the stuff that I wrote to them with live links so you can find out who the fathers of the earth are. And who the benefactors are who exercise authority. Cause we weren't to be like that. The modern church is like that. And so, you know, uh, the individual writes, uh, and, you know, I couldn't always tell if he was addressing me, but he writes, uh, this has been a common reformist complaint. The church of today is not like the apostles. But was the church supposed to be a relic? To be held on until the end of time. Well, of course, uh, Jesus did say uh, that, you know, uh, well, God is the same. And so, wouldn't the church be the same in the churches of God? I mean, we see the church back then doing the exact same thing that the Levites were told to do. If you understand what the Levites were told to do. So, yeah, it should be the same. You talk about relic as if it's something you pulled off of the ocean floor and, uh, that it has no meaning. Well, the church today has very little meaning. It's a feel good, uh, social institution that's supposed to make you feel good about what you're doing. If I point out the fact that you're not doing what the early church did, suddenly I'm the bad guy. Uh, he goes on to say, or was it necessarily something that had to exist in each area as a living body? Uh, he says, for, uh, a Catholic at least, uh, continuity is found in the, in belief and on an unbroken line of apostles, not in appearance. Well, actually, the Catholic Church's unbroken line of apostles doesn't fit. It's it's not unbroken. They may claim it's unbroken, but there are actually many Catholic uh, theologians who admit wholeheartedly that it is broken. I mean, even w- while I was alive, there were seven popes at one time picked by the Order of Cardinals because there was such splits in the church. There was this group and that group, and they were all picking different popes. You would know who they are uh, because they're not going to promote that, but they all existed at the same time, and literally they were legitimate popes. Because they were picked by the cardinals, which is the way they do things. Now, eventually they ridded themselves in one way or another of six of those popes. And then they said, this is the one we're going to follow. But if you follow the lineage of popes back, it doesn't make it to Peter by any shape of the imagination. If you're actually going to be objective in looking at history. But yet there certainly was a line of of uh, bishops that were anointing bishops and there were anointing bishops but there were also huge periods of time in which they were killing millions upon millions of Christians including bishops and monks who did not conform to Rome so who is the legitimate well it's really easy to tell who's doing what Christ said by their works you shall you'll know them and so, we're going to take a look at what that looks like when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back. Uh, so, I was just going over some of the uh, uh, quotes uh, from the, the people who are debating this topic of Ecclesia. And of course, like I say, a lot of people, they make a big deal out of the fact that they translated Ecclesia into church as if there's something wrong with that. And that's, that's misidentifying the problem. The problem is, I mean, you could have changed, translated into Gonzornenplatte or whatever. Uh, You know, and people have all kinds of rationales as to why they picked the word church, because, oh, it was like the temples of old and, you know, ancient temples. Well, actually, the term church was used commonly at that time because, not because it was from ancient temples, but because of the fact that it had to do with a circle and congregations gathered in circles. And they had done that long before King Arthur's round table. They gathered in a circle because they gathered as equals. And this is one of the things that I'm still trying to get across to my ministers, uh uh that I help gather together. They're not my ministers, hopefully they're Christ's ministers, um but uh that uh they're not the spiritual guides of their congregation. They might be, they might act to some degree in that capacity, but no more so than any other member of the congregation. They're at a round table. They're gathering in a circle, in a shape of a wheel, uh, you know, like a wheel within a wheel, like a symposium within a ranks of 50 and ranks of 100. These are metaphors trying to explain a principle and anyone in that congregation couldn't stand up with the power of the Holy Spirit and share light on their congregation and with the individuals of their congregation. The purpose of the minister is to connect them with the rest of the kingdom to maintain that entrance. To a kingdom, not a scattered flock of individuals running around saying, I'm in the kingdom because I had a spiritual experience and I'm not helping anybody else. I'm not doing any of the things that the first century church did. Oh, I help people I run across. But that isn't the way the church was operating. You can see it if you just read Acts. But people look at everything with kind of a blinders on. Peter, Paul, Barnabas. They're sending aid all over the known world. They're appointing people that are responsible now for funding the daily ministration from one nation to the next. Seven men chosen, just like they did in the Old Testament. Chose seven men because they didn't know what evil might come, what catastrophe might come. And so they needed these seven men to help coordinate The movement of large amounts of aid to other parts of the known world, wherever they were at. We have this idea that Israel was just in this one little local area. Israel was part of the sea kings. They were all over the place. They they were to be a priest to all nations. They weren't just to be isolated in this little geographical location. It was wherever the faithful foot went. You know, that was one of the symbols of early Israel was they would carve, and you can still find these carvings, a picture of their foot in stone. Because wherever they put their foot, they were putting these principles that had been passed down to them by the prophets like Moses and Elijah. And so the sea kings that came out of Israel were spreading many of these, they, they call them sea kings, but... They were just rugged individualists who got together and worked together as a community and sometimes on boats and ships and went around and did trading because it was very lucrative to do that. And But we don't understand our history. We don't even understand what they were doing. You know, I just read this morning now they were still talking about they could not understand the function of these temples. They had a hard time understanding the functions of, of these temples, so I added to our description of the Temple of Roma in our page on temples, and and, and put some extra information there, so that you can understand that. And so, uh, someone wrote, "Nothing has changed since that first century. Evidently, the church still sends out missionaries to the ends of the earth. Unlike 100 A.D., we aren't called to martyrdom." They weren't called to martyrdom. It, they, we just knew that it was going to happen. And there are still people that are martyred uh, and killed for their beliefs. Uh, some of their beliefs, that doesn't validate your beliefs, the fact that somebody killed you for it. But you, if you actually go out and preach the gospel... Uh, real missionaries preaching the gospel of the church established by Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to look a sight different than what you see today. He says, we still baptize all nations. No, you don't. You're not baptizing anybody like the early church baptized people. You're dunking them in water like the church of Constantine did. You're saying the words, but yeah you know, the christ got all of the people who got his baptism kicked out of the socialist systems of judea of rome of greece all these systems were using force to compel the offerings of the people until john the baptist comes along and says no not by force by charity free will offerings the way we used to do it in Israel that you you contribute to a group of men that you think you personally choose to contribute to you don't you don't create a socialist institution where some body or group can exercise authority and force you to contribute if you're doing that You're not, if you're seeking to do that, if you're desiring to do that, if you're willing to be dependent upon such a system, you're not doing what Christ said. You're not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you're not sitting down together to create a system based on charity instead of force, then you're not a Christian because you're not following the directives of Christ. You may have gotten wet sometime or another and somebody may have said magic words and you may have even taken the name of the Lord in vain and said, I baptize you in the name of Jesus uh, uh, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. You may have said those words, but you're taking them in vain if you're not striving and seeking to sit down in groups of tens, in ranks of fifty, in ranks of one hundred, in ranks of a thousand, and ranks of five thousand and ten thousand people that are actually trying to live by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. If you do this so that you got a place to go on Sunday to tell you that you're saved because you believe in a fictional Jesus, then you're just playing religion you're you're not a Christian, and as a matter of fact, if you're promoting the idea of going to men who exercise authority to actually get the benefits that used to be handed out from house to house by the church and now are handed out by governments who exercise authority, then you are not only not a Christian not a part of the church established by Jesus Christ, you're an actual worker of iniquity. And when you do run into Jesus, if you ever run into Jesus, he's going to say, get ye from me. Depart, you worker of iniquity, because I don't know you and you don't seem to know me. So anyway, so that's that's where we actually took the conversation. But do they hear that? Can you hear that? I mean, this is good news to know what you're doing wrong so that you can fix it. You can change. It's called repentance. Turning around and thinking a different way. Oh my gosh. We should be gathering together in a system of perfect, uh, based on the perfect law of liberty. In other words, allowing everybody to freely give And allowing ministers who have a knowledge of who is giving and who is not giving and who is doing what. And of course, some of that knowledge may depend upon you telling us what who really needs what. And then we can help one another. See, the baptism at Pentecost got everybody kicked out of the social welfare system of Rome. They were all kicked out of that system. And they could not enter the temple to get benefits from the Pharisees. But guess what? At Pentecost, the apostles were emboldened by the Holy Spirit. And they went into the temple. And they rightly divided the bread from house to house amongst those who would receive the baptism of Jesus Christ. And the Romans were even going to protect these apostles. Recognizing that they were the apostles appointed by Jesus, who Pontius Pilate said was the rightful king of Judea, he said, "This is your king. This is the rightful king." He wasn't gonna. They would have all crucified the apostles, except the Romans wouldn't let them. He felt bad enough that they'd crucified Jesus Christ. Who he appears to have known since before the trial, <laughs> because Jesus says, "Thou sayest it." You know, they they evidently had some sort of conversation or interaction before that, and of course, there is ancient traditions that they actually knew each other from many years before, because Pontius Pilate was actually from Gaul. Pontius Pilate was a very interesting guy; it, it, he's worth understanding more about. Uh his wife appears to have been a Christian by the text. She's defending Christ before he even comes to the trial. And we know there were there were people high up in the uh Judean government who were supporting Christ. Women, Susanna, Joanna were Supporting Christ. I mean, the wife of the treasurer of Herod Antipas was supporting Christ's ministry. Well known. And so she probably was having tea and crumpets with Pontius Pilate's wife. These people all moved in the same circles. And so they knew who Jesus was. And according to, uh, there were churches actually built by Pontius Pilate and his wife. They were considered saints for a thousand years and more. Still considered saints amongst many of the Christian, uh, descendants. Uh, so what was really going on? See, now this is where we were going to take some of this subject is, uh, what, what is the problem with people not seeing this? I'm not not a revisionist of history. I'm just discovering what it actually was. You guys are all suffering from history revision now. And so you need to understand really what was going on. So anyway, we've done a number of shows on ideological possession. And uh, we have a page up on ideological subversion, which is... Commonly practiced, been practiced for centuries, where they try to undermine the ideology that a group or a, a citizens or a nation has, and till it becomes sort of demoralized, what it, it its standards of belief have been undercut, and nothing does that more than wanting to get you so you don't believe in God, and. You know, you only believe in these other things, which you often don't understand, and then they can start manipulating you. So, we've seen a lot of effort in doing that, and we have an article up, Zeke Geist. And it, because there was a Zeke video that came out and was saying, oh, the Jesus is a myth, and it's just taken from these other ideas of Mithra and... Uh, and they they try to equate him with Horus and all these things, and they go through, and it's it's fairly well done. It's just not true. It doesn't it it, it represents a lot of these religions in in a, a intellectual representation that is just not accurate. And so we put up a video. You know, I could go through piece by piece and argue. It becomes a distraction, which is part of the purpose of ideological subversion is to distract people away to get them to doubt what they had once believed and 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 i i would be guilty of that a little bit because i'm attacking what a lot of people believe but that's not my intention my intention is to show you what is true and some of the things that you've accepted are not true i don't just tell you they're not true I offer you the truth in replacement of what is not true. So I'm not just casting you out where you have no belief and then I can gobble you up with my uh, ideology or my cult. Uh, and we'll get into that too, what a cult is. So anyway, I put that video up and, you know, it's it's almost two hours long, hour and 57 minutes long. But it it goes through rather thoroughly. Step by step, a lot of these things that the Zeke Geist video presented that just ain't so. It's just not true. And so there you kind of unravel the web that they wove. And so if you want to spend time listening to that and, and pondering these things, that's great. On the same page, I also go into the Piso and Flavian myth uh, where they, guys are saying that Jesus never existed, there's no historical evidence, which is just bunk. You know, and Joseph Atwell goes out and says that Piso or Flavian, uh, family, uh, group, uh, supposedly wrote all the Bible in order to control Christians. Well, his whole idea and, uh, his ideology, because that's what he's doing, is replacing one ideology with another, falls apart when you begin to understand the true motive of the Gospels. If you think it's so that we get you to believe that Jesus is God and the Son of God and that he died for your sins, and, and which is all maybe true, and that's the, that's the amazing thing about the big lie, The big lie has lots of truth, just doesn't have the whole truth. And the whole truth is, is that he died that you might be saved. But in order for you to be saved, you have to repent. In order to repent, you have to repent of sin. Uh, Repent of ways that are going contrary to the way of God. And the way of God is that you, you become a nation based on charity, not force. You show me what nation today is based on charity. There is charity in America. There, there was more charity in America than probably than any other nation for a long period of time. But the reality is 90% of the Christian welfare system is run by men who exercise authority that we call government. So you're 10% Christian and 90% pagan. <laughs> And will doesn't ever address any of this. He doesn't understand that the Christians, we know about Christians in history because they were immediately persecuted for their beliefs. So why in the world is Piso writing a a New Testament that is going to get all Christians persecuted if the purpose of him writing it is to control the people? It doesn't make any sense. It's this, it's this void of any kind of logic. But the phenomenon that I want people to take a look at, and you can go to our articles, and, and there's lots of live links on there. What was John the Baptist really doing? And you can go and familiarize yourself with these things. We've talked about them. But uh once you begin to understand what Christ was really doing, It doesn't make any sense that Piso wrote the Bible. Now, if, if you're going to believe the Bible the way the modern Christians do, yeah, Joseph Atwell makes absolute sense. Because the way you look at Christianity today makes you a a more controllable society, a more manipulative, uh, manipulatable society. And it, it, it makes you fit for the first dictator that comes along or monarch that comes along or whatever and of course we talk about that we give you examples with uh, polybius because this is what was happening in Rome they were changing the meaning of religion to some degree you see that in the temples were religious temples but they were also government temples and that was because religion was how you took care of the needy of your society and how you fulfilled your duty to God and society and your fellow man. So that's what religion was. And that's why these temples were built to pro- to provide for the needy of society. You know, when there was need for free bread or, or uh, actually to actually make you prosper as individuals. They were going to actually do things to make your society prosper. And we've just done a series on... And, of course, we have a study on Tuesday that talks about Ephesus was a world bank. It was a temple. It was a pagan temple, but it was also a world bank. It was minting coins. It was actually counterfeiting coins and devaluating coins, but it was a pagan temple because the temples were government institutions. This is why people... Who've been studying this for years and years, they still come up and say, We don't understand the function of the temple. And the reason they can't understand it, even though the evidence is there, is because they don't want to know the truth. Because all of a sudden, a lot of what, if you're an atheist, it undermines what you believe. If you're a Christian, it undermines what you believe. If you're a Jew, it undermines what you believe. Because everybody's under these strong delusions. They don't actually know what these things are. What's going on. You know, somebody. Actually, I won't just say somebody. I'll tell you who. Um, uh, John Francis Wilson. I knew it was uh, Wilson, but I couldn't remember his first name. John Francis Wilson. He wrote uh, Caesarea Philippi. uh, Banius the lost city of Pan. By John Francis Wilson. Okay, so what did he write in that? He, he wrote in that, there was a quote that he wrote in that. Herod's strategy in erecting this temple extended far beyond the symbolism represented by the structure itself. So the statues and the symbols of the structure, that's not really telling you what's going on. So those statues in there, we might call them idols, but they just, they're just representing, you know, it's like in the old days, if you were a bootmaker, you'd hang a picture or, or you'd actually hang a boot out in front of your store and people would say, Oh, that's a bootmaker. If you were a tavern, you'd have a, you know, a flask of ale or something like that out in front of this, uh, your tavern. And they'd say, Oh, look, it's a tavern. Because they didn't read. So, they had these symbols. So, you have idols. Well, of course, a lot of people did read in, in Rome. They were highly sophisticated people. But anyway, so the symbolism is just outside symbolism. What's the actual function? He goes on to say, He was among the first of all the provincial rulers in the empire to commit to the cult of Augustus. What is the cult of Augustus? If you go look up temples... You'll find a section, Temple of Venus in Roma. and Roma. Uh, and then there's a live link to what the cult of Augustus was, which was actually just the imperial cult of Rome. And that imperial cult of Rome was a social and political organization. And that's what he goes on to write. Uh, his uh, uh, Augustine Augustin temples... Uh, and uh, the elaborate priesthood they required may even have been influential in setting the course of the imperial worship throughout the Eastern Empire. Imperial worship—what the heck is that? Well, if you if you signed up for these temples, you had to pay in to the temple. That what you paid in—that was considered worship. And you were going to get something back for that, hopefully, because you had faith in the imperial cult of Rome. The Augustan Imperial and inc- Cult of Rome. So how was that actually functioning? What were these priests actually doing? Well we'll have to talk about that when we return to keys of the kingdom. So anyway, we're we're looking at this uh what they were doing in those temples. And, of course, you have many of these temples today. They're all government buildings today. You don't necessarily call them temples, although some of them look like the temples of Rome. They actually use Roman architecture in there. And they'll even have uh, Roman gods, the the, the statues of Roman gods, out in front of them or on top of them. And that's, that's, that's common. But we don't want to get... The fact is, these symbols show up, and there's a reason why those symbols show up. But the essential spiritual nature of this is, are you gathering together to take care of one another? Because you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You care about your neighbor's children as much as you care about your own children. You care about your neighbor's grandchildren as much as you care about your own grandchildren. Because that's the spirit of God. I was explaining this whole concept of heaven and hell again to somebody just the other day. That uh, that there was no hell. God didn't create hell. Hell is the result of a number of angels or creations or entities that left the realm of heaven, warred against it, fought against it, rejected part of it, and went off and formed their own universe, their own realm. And it is, it is, has many of the characteristics you find amongst those of heaven, which is where life and creation all comes from, but not all of it. It's missing part of the character of God. One of those parts of the character of God is that He withdraws His will and allows you to make choice. He doesn't just want you to be a puppet. He gives you some choice. Do a tree of knowledge and he gives you a tree of life and he says, don't eat of this one, but only eat of this one. Why did he give you that choice? He told you what would happen if you made that choice and ate of the tree of knowledge and that's, that's why I didn't write all that I could write about Zeke Geist. And I just put up somebody else's video. That's why I didn't write all of what I could write about the Jesus versus Mithra controversy. But I just put up another video for that. It's a shorter video. It's only about four minutes. But it gives you the gist. I did write a little bit about Piso So that I could put in a lot of live links to some of the answers. that To the questions that might come up as you're examining these ideas, and so that I could explain it. I also have added, just in the last week or so, the Fominko Phenomena, which is a section on the same page, and it's about a guy, uh, Anatoly Fominko, who is is kind of a history revisionist. He's saying that uh, most of what we know in history is just a product that has come along since around the 1500s or at least no more than a thousand years ago. And it's all just, you know, he says that the real Christ lived, you know, like 500 years ago. I can't remember. I mean, it's, it's, but his books are selling millions. They're extremely popular. And yet it's, it's the most outlandish. Uh, conclusions that he has made, and then you go through and and I've uh, I've shared some links on the page. I think I put the links in already uh, to people who have talked about what uh, Anatoly is missing and how he comes to these conclusions. Now I agree that there's a great deal of history. It has been tampered with uh we've got articles up on how uh, uh there was a concerted effort to change the way in which Americans view history, and of course, there's always been a prejudice you know because to the victor gets to write the history and so therefore he'll he'll tell his side of the story and he'll he'll appear right and um and you don't really hear the other guy's side of the story. And so you have to do a little bit of digging to figure out really what was going on. But why, the question was really that I tried to bring up in this and I'm not really finished with it. Why was Anatoly so popular and with whom? Well, he was very popular in Russia. But Russia had just undergone, you know, the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, everything that they had been taught and and told how great they were was kind of now in question because it was Soviet Union was supposedly collapsing and people needed something to replace that empty feeling that they were getting from the breakdown of their own political structures and so Anatoly when he writes he kind of puts the Russian hordes back in the limelight where the key To all history in the world. And the reality is. is There was a lot of stuff. That was going on. In early Russia. I mean early. Way back. 1200 1300. That has. And even farther back than that. That is not well recorded. And at least it's not well known. Because European history has kind of followed. You know Rome. We know there were civilizations at the time of Rome that were highly successful, actually defeated Roman armies down to the last man sometimes um, with, uh, with almost impunity. And so even though Rome was a great influential society, it was not the only society on the earth. There were vast tracts of land and areas that had people in them that could muster an army to destroy the Roman legions. What were they doing? Well, we know very little about that, at least the average historian who doesn't take some uh, effort to take a look. But when you take a look at anything, you take a look with the eyes in your own head. And the eyes in your own head are governed by your own prejudices. So, how can you know the whole truth? You have to be willing to accept the idea that you're wrong. You know, and on the same page, I go into a section on The Zealot, and I've done a number of radio programs. The Zealot is a book written by, uh, uh, Reza, uh, Aslan. And, and he's, he's really a pretty smart guy. And he knows a lot. You know, he's a professor of, he's a Muslim. Uh, but, uh, you know, his view on, uh, on, on, uh, Muslims and Muhammad are actually very objective. Uh, he just doesn't understand Christ. Uh, he knows a lot of stuff, but he put, takes the pieces of the puzzle and puts together and comes up with a theory that Jesus was a zealot. And Jesus was not a zealot. Uh, although I can see some of his arguments. But anyway, I, I, I've got at least three hours of audio up. Um, actually, it looks like I've got at least four hours of audio up. <laughs> Uh, going through his book and going through some of his conclusions and everything. Even though I admire the guy, I think he's wrong about these conclusions. And even though I think he's right about a lot of things, uh, he, he puts the pieces together wrong because he's not willing to see or just hasn't seen all the pieces of the puzzle. But he actually is an individual. He may not be far from the kingdom, so I don't want to be too critical of him. But anyway, you can go listen to those audios. It's all on our Zeke page. And you can find that at Preparing You. But uh, I also wanted to talk to you about this Imperial Cult of Rome. A cult, you know, I mean, we have a whole page on cults. And you can go read that. We have recordings on cults. Cults are usually something you can't get out of. Or they they very try very hard to keep you from getting out of. They also want control over your finances. So that they they can take funds from you at will. And that's a cult. Well, that's what government is. <laughs> you're, you're a member of a particular government. You can get benefits from that government and they'll help you out, but they also want control of your money. And they've got it. And this is one of the things that I wrote, um, trying to get across to these guys who are debating this whole idea of, um, ecclesia, uh, versus the word church. But there's actually absolutely no problem with the word church if you define it correctly. And that's the problem is they haven't defined it correctly. So they have this strange conclusion as to what... that They actually think that they're Christians. And, and, and they're not. They're not Christians. They're not following Christ. And, and they're just getting wet with their baptisms. Now... Now, to be fair, and, you know, because I get into trouble if I say you just can't pick stupid and things like this, because I do talk about things in a negative light, but I, there is a positive light. I'm sure that a lot of people that are drawn towards Christianity are drawn towards Christianity because deep down they may have a Christian heart. And, and a lot of the people who pay their taxes and wouldn't think of cheating on their taxes and... And try to support the government. They're doing so or even, you know, joining the military and fighting to defend the country and all this stuff. They're doing this out of a sense of duty. They almost every one of them don't understand the definition of religion. This is see, this is why you, you can't study history unless you define words, which takes us back to the beginning of this with socialism and, and capitalism. Capitalism doesn't include cronyism, doesn't include corporatism. The, the capitalism you're experiencing may include those things, but the definition in its purest sense just means that what you produce is yours. That's it. If you invest in, in making an orchard, that's your orchard. You have a right to what your labor If I come in and start picking your apples, I'm picking your labor. I'm stealing the products of your labor. I'm violating the property rights of your labor. Now, if I'm starving, and if I don't pick this apple and eat it, I'm going to die. I can pick that apple and eat it, but I may owe you some recompense. I'm not a thief because necessity makes law. If I tried to cover it up, you know, grab the apples and sneak off into the, in, into the woods and not admit my responsibility to, sh- to, to make recompense to you, then, then I'm a thief. But if I'm just trying to sustain my life, I have a right to sustain my life. So people say, well, if you're not using a building, I get to move in and just take it over. Well, why don't you have a building of your own? Why don't you go to that guy and say, you know, I can help take care of those empty buildings for you if you pay me. And then I can save up my money and I can build a building for myself. I'll know everything about taking care of buildings and how to build them because what went wrong with it and what went right with it. But if you just want to take it over, then you're just a thief. But people don't see that. But anyway, back to the topic at hand. is the So at Pentecost... People who got the baptism of Jesus Christ instead of the baptism of Herod or the baptism of the Pharisees, because they all had, there was, we have an article on Jewish baptism, which was around for a long time. So we're explaining to you the missing pieces of history. We're not revising history, we're revising your image of history created by the pieces you have. But you've got a distorted image because you don't have all the pieces. And one of those pieces is that these temples were government institutions providing government services to a people that were becoming more and more socialist in their approach to government. Well Christ is not a socialist... He he believed that you should take care of the needy of your society, but you need to do it through free will offerings, and you can't make free will offerings unless you have a right to what you produce. If you have no right to what you produce, and somebody can just take away what you produced, which is what they can do in socialism, then how do you make free will offerings? How do you choose to do it? Now, if you're if you're a capitalist who chooses not to share, not to help anybody else out, to just hoard everything that you produce, something's going to happen to you. And Jesus talks about that. The guy who builds a big barn and and puts everything up for himself. It's all about him. He ends up falling into destruction and and, and, and evil things come upon him. But if you... Because remember now, that word sacrifice, that word korban, that word for free will offering in the Hebrew comes from a word that means to draw near. You're drawing near the character of God if you choose to do things the way that God says to do them. If you're doing things the way Satan says to do them, you're going to be drawn near Satan. Satan is a dictator in hell. He's a benefactor, but he's a dictator in hell. And you're being drawn towards hell when you look towards dictators to provide you with 90% of your needs. You you need to lower that percentage every day where you're now looking at maybe 49% of your needs is supplied by the government. And the other 51% of the needs are supplied by free will offerings. So that gives you direction. That's where you're headed. Ultimately, when the system fails, you want to be on that 49% side of depending on the government. Actually, the closer you are to zero dependence upon the government, the better off you are. I mean, the the end of the world could come, the end of the system of things could come, and you would hardly even notice. (laughs) Because well, we don't even depend on that. Uh you know, we, we depend upon we we have faith in God. We have one God. And and see that's that's one of those things that I was sharing just this morning where somebody posted something about, you know, that um uh, uh everybody uh Bush God told them to invade Afghanistan, and Tony Blair believed that uh uh he had to pray to God to whether or not he would send troops to support uh these these issues in other countries, and of course, Hillary says she always believed that she was under the protection of God, and on and on, so you have all these examples of people who say they believe in God, but in first corinthians eight five it says For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there are gods many and lords many. So Paul's saying there are gods many and lords many. Well, who are those? Well, you know, it's like Hillary, if she was president, she'd been God. To, from a certain point of view, she'd be the ruling judge. She'd be appointing Supreme Court justices, etc. Go read our articles on that, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. But if you just read that, you know, uh, Corinthians eight five, in context, you have to go to 4, and it says, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world... And that there is none other God but one. He's talking to Christians. They know there's none other God but one. Well, where are these idols? And what is sacrifice to those idols? These idols are in the temples. And those temples are temples of the world. What world is that? Constitutional orders and systems of government. That's the word they use there for world. It's not the word for planet it's the word for those institutions, so those temples and the statues in those temples representing those temples, temple of Roma, temple of Venus, temple of Artemis, temple of Diana these are the they're represented by these statues, so you know, oh, this is they you know they go down here and turn right and you'll see a big temple, and there'll be a statue of Roma out in front, and so that's where you go and if you need aid. Because you're going to eat of things offered at those temples, paid into those temples, sacrificed to those temples, because you need help. And so that's where you would go, and they will rightly divide their, what has been sacrificed to them in those temples. But Paul is saying, no, we don't do that. We know that those, those idols are nothing. There's no spiritual power behind that. Well, there is actually a spiritual power, but it's going to draw you near hell because their offerings are based on covetousness. They're pagan government temples, which is where most of you get your benefits today. And until you repent and say, I want to go the other way and start sitting down in those tens, fifties, hundreds and thousands and start contributing on a regular basis to take care of the needy of your society, you're not going to find your way. Nor is God going to know you. Now, God has reached out and sent people like me to tell you and point this out. I mean, you read in verse 6, but to us, he's talking to the Christians. There is but one God, the Father, the whole idea of Father. Caesar was known as Petronas, our father of art in Rome. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come when thy will be done. That's their prayer. We don't say that prayer. We say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy daily bread come when we do your will. Your will is that we do not force our neighbor to contribute to our welfare. Because that would be a covetous practice that would make us merchandise and curse our children. And, of course, we are our parents' children and we are cursed with the debt of our parents. We're back in the bondage of Egypt again. We're back in the mire again. So, that's good news to know that. Because now you can do something about it. You can sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. You can actually start sacrificing according to the ways of Christ and come together in the name of Christ to serve one another and not pretend... False fellowship, which is what you've been doing. The fellowship of thieves and robbers and publicans, because you're all publicans. If you're getting, you know, free education and free, they're taking care of your parents and they're taking care of your, you know, your children, your welfare, your health care, everything, because they're your daddy. Who's your daddy? It's not God in heaven. It's the gods of the world, the constitutional orders and systems of government. So you need to, you know, Paul's talking to people who have made that choice. Real Christians. Not, you know, not the ones who claim to be Christian, but don't do what Christ said. Now, I understand a lot of people out there have not heard what Christ was actually saying. But that's why I'm reading to you from six. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience Of the idol unto the hour. Eat it as a thing. Offered unto idol. An idol. And their conscience. Being weak is defiled. So. I understand a lot of you are dependent upon. The social welfare systems of the world. Social security. Welfare. Unemployment. Public school. I'm saying See what that is. Have the humility to admit that that's about coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, which is forbidden by Christ. It is about praying to the fathers of the earth for benefits that they provide by taking away from your neighbor. And in most cases today, because they're borrowing money against the future, they're taking away from neighbors you don't even have yet. (laughs) Some have not even been born yet because they're not going to pay off that debt. It's all idolatry. And the temples and the government agencies that you go to are pagan temples. Just like they were pagan temples at the time of Christ. If you want to be a Christian, you want to go the other way. That's a process. And you have to turn around and start going that other way. That That's what Christianity was called. The way. And at Pentecost, many people... Now, they'd already been listening to John the Baptist for years. They had been listening to Jesus and the apostles for years. But now was the time to make that transition. That complete transit. Because now if you got baptized. When you were baptized by Herod uh, or by... Uh, John the Baptist, you weren't cast out. You you could say, Well, we're gonna start working together and strive to seek that kingdom of heaven, try to set it up. And that's why Jesus is pointing seventy to go out and try to set this up all over Europe. And that's what you should be doing, trying to set this up. In order to set this up, you have to sit down together in these congregations. So join the network at preparing you Find a congregation, join it, start contributing, start start the flow of your blood in the system so that Christ's blood can bless you. Because that's your sign of it doesn't have to be much, it just has to you have to you know, it has to be what Christ wants puts on your heart. If you read Mark five twenty three and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. Over and over again, they talk about laying on of hands. And we're going to get into, we'll probably do it in this afternoon show, get into this idea of healing and laying on of hands. But how can you lay hands on one another? And you don't have to physically, I mean, Peter could heal people just with a shadow. He could heal people, you know, even... Even the Roman centurion said to Jesus, you don't have to go to my house to heal my servant. You, you can heal him right here. You don't have to go there. I mean, this is, this is a spiritual blessing that comes to you when you start sitting down together and, you know, giving of your own self to others. To try to be there for others. Casting your bread upon the waters in hope, and, and and having faith that such a system of charity can actually work. You go back to that Plymouth and Jamestown. When everybody produced what they produced, and got to keep what they produced, those who didn't produce enough did not starve, because they began to practice charity in the land. There's a lot of charity still going on in America, but there's a lot less than there used to be. And that charity, that willingness to be charitable, is what made America great. It wasn't our dependence on government straightening things out and making things better. It was dependent upon us repenting and taking care of one another because we began to care about one another. That's what will make America great. That's what made the early Christians great. And that's what the world does not want you to see. And those who keep you from seeing it are workers of iniquity. And that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to open your eyes and w- awaken you to the way. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, Anyway, we looked a little bit at uh, this idea of Ecclesia, and we have a page up on Ecclesia, which has been uh, improved a little bit. And we looked at z- the idea of Zeke guys and the Piso and the uh, Christ Mithra myth uh, Fomenko and Tony Fomenko and the phenomena of the fact that uh, somebody who comes along with an absolute total revisionist of history where suddenly Christ didn't even exist. This was all somebody who existed in the 1500s who was his king. And he's got all these charts and everything. He's got uh, at least seven volumes, maybe eight volumes now. And he is selling millions of books. And so uh, he's making a lot of money, uh, which is fine. I guess that's capitalism. Cool. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a great thing. Uh, but the reality is is why are people so anxious for that? And of course it because we need the sense of being right or having being validated and and the Russians were kind of un invalidated by the the failures of the Soviet Union and the breakup of the Soviet Union and so this gave them a sense of validation. Now if you step back from that and look at yourselves and look at your own society this is, people need this validation I mean black lives matter, white lives matter uh everybody needs a certain amount of validation and uh everybody was so sure that uh, you know Hillary was gonna win no chance on earth of uh, trump winning and he and and he suddenly won and the and the people just fall completely apart because they're Ideology gave them validation and suddenly their ideology didn't win and they can't, that made them even more vulnerable than ever. Uh, somebody was asking the question on the network, you know, that, you know, we, we strive, we struggle to, to go this other way and it can all be taken away by an army overnight. You know, by, by um, fanatics overnight. or, or, you know, crazy people in their own society taken away overnight. And we see this in, you know, in lots of cultures in Europe and South Africa and and the invasion of the immigrants who brings in another culture. Uh, But they eat at your cult. They eat at your table, (laughs) your government table. But they want to bring in their own culture that is separate from that. And they want you to fund their system. And you're doing it because you didn't even understand what you're doing. You're not Christians. You become more and more. We don't have to build a wall. If we were our walls, like in the Peloponnesian War, they tell about that society where Athens was trying to loan them money to build a wall around their cities. And they said, we are our walls. And they actually survived took a great toll during the Peloponnesian Wars, but they survived the Peloponnesian Wars without a wall and uh, And you see that independence flowing down to their culture, and they were they were some of the first people to accept christianity in 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 Greece because of the fact that they had that rugged individualism, that independence which is still alive in America. But it's suffering, it's ill, it's sick, it's, uh, it's become degenerate because of the fact that we've become accustomed to living at the expense of others. As Polybius warned us 2,000 years ago, but they don't teach you Polybius in your public schools anymore. (laughs) They don't, they don't tell you what he said. You know, I, I've done this, played this game where I've, I've read quotes from people and say, who said that? Who said that? (laughs) <laughs> and almost no nobody knows who said that. I'm not very good at it either because I can't remember names, but I I understand the principles. So anyway, we we've also talked about workers of iniquity, and we have an article up there. You know this idea, the the phrase worker of in workers of iniquity shows up in Job, in Psalms, in Proverbs. Uh, it also shows up in Luke. Uh, but it shows up in lots of different places you know where we see some of these same phrases um actually I think if I refresh this page I might even see some more cuz I found more I actually looked it up in the Hebrew uh and found that it wasn't always translated workers of iniquity but uh, the phrases were still there and um and you find it in Hosea and Isaiah and, um and, uh, a number of other places, uh, so I'm kind of wondering if I, uh, if I've loaded it, because I'm not seeing the extra quotes showing up, but I know that they're there, so anyway, Um and, and this talk of iniquity, it, it, it coveting your neighbor's goods is iniquity. Desiring to live comfortable the denying part of the truth. The denying the Holy Spirit. Now this is, this is critical. Like, people don't understand this. The one sin that cannot be forgiven is denying the Holy Spirit. Now you have to put that into context. It's continuously denying the Holy Spirit. If you stop denying the Holy Spirit, you can be forgiven. But as long as in the presence, of the Holy Spirit, you deny the Holy Spirit, you cannot be blessed. Well, it takes a certain amount of humility when you find out the Holy Spirit is telling you something is true that you didn't think was true before. You have to have an element of humility in your life in order to accept what the Holy Spirit is telling you, which is you're wrong. (laughs) You've eaten of the tree of knowledge. And you've been deceived into a strong delusion. And it takes a certain amount of humility to see that. If you don't see it, there will be humiliations galore. <laughs> because you, to quote Princess Bright, because you're denying the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is trying to tell you that there's something more to Christianity than just thinking. You have to be a doer of the word. And that takes us to the Hebrew word for worker. You see, the, the word you find there in the Hebrew, workers of iniquity, uh, is uh, uh which is, um, well, it ends in the letter lamad, which is the word for your hand, if you've followed our teachings on Hebrew. It's Ian Lamad. It is. It is putting the action, and that's why Jesus says you have to be a doer of the word. You can't just be here only. You can't just say Lord, Lord. You have to be a doer of the word. Not that you're going to earn salvation, but if you're not putting that action into, you know, that the, that that spiritual understanding into action. You're not going to receive the grace. You have to put it into action. And when, you, when you're when you putting it into action, your heart is beating. Blood is flowing in your own veins. And as long as that blood is flowing in your veins and you're putting some sort of action into reality, then that's your blood doing that. Because if your heart's not beating, you're not going to put anything into action. You're going, all action's going to stop. You're going to drop dead. So any action you do any work you do you know the the word is actually translated you know the same word we see is work or workers is translated doers uh ordaineth maker uh commit uh make do um a n- number of times when you're doing that is your blood sacrifice you're actually Your heart is pumping blood so that you can put into action that which is spiritually revealed to you. So if if seeking the kingdom, the kingdom of God, is the right to be ruled by God, and you want to be ruled by God in your heart and in your mind, that's a humble position to begin with. You have to accept the guidance of God and His Holy Spirit entering into you and saying, I need to be working in the direction of the kingdom of God, seeking the kingdom of God. And I need to be working in the direction of righteousness. My my loyalty is not to some church organization. My loyalty is to what is right. And of course you can you can compromise that by oaths and applications, which is why we wrote the book Covenants of the Gods. But you do not Get closer to the kingdom of God by not being friends with the unrighteous mammon. If you're in the mammon, you owe the tax, pay the tax. If you, if you will die without the benefit, okay, take the benefit. I don't want you to die. Pick the apple. But, God knows the sincerity of your heart. Are you with your daily working hour putting into action Actually seeking the kingdom of God in His righteousness. Because when you put that into action, with the movement of your hand, with the typing of your fingers, with the, with the uh, sweat of your brow, and you can, that action can come in the form of money, uh, goods, services, anything. Because mo- the money you earned is just representation of all those heartbeats that took place while you were earning that money. So, you know, we actually had somebody who believed that, oh, you didn't have to tithe unless you had agricultural production. (laughs) If you didn't produce sheep or grains or olive oil, you didn't have to tithe. If you just, you know, worked and people paid you, you didn't have to tithe. If that isn't rationalization, I don't know what is. That is just an absurd rationalization. You tithe because you're putting your your sweat and your toil in your blood, you're casting it upon the waters you're putting it into action now there's a great responsibility with tithing, whether you know tithing is each member of a congregation of ten is sharing part of their blood, part of their sweat, part of their toil, not only with every other member of their congregation. But congregations in Greece, congregations in South Africa, congregations in uh, Europe and Sweden and Australia and China, they're casting their bread upon the waters. They're, they're trying to make the message of the gospel, the real gospel, which was accepted by people who were willing to live by faith, hope and charity and the perfect law of liberty. We're not going to eat of those idols, those temples of the fathers of the earth that exercised authority one over the other. They wanted to move towards a system that was entirely dependent upon free will offerings, the perfect law of liberty. That's the kingdom of God. And if you're not working and striving and sweating and toiling and sacrificing in that direction, to whatever degree God puts upon your heart and to whomever, whatever minister, if you think Joe Olstein is leading people to the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then give to Joe Olstein. If you think Billy Graham is leading people to the kingdom of God for the living at hand, then give to Billy Graham, or I guess you have to give to his son now. Then do it. Uh, But whoever you see who's actually preaching the full gospel of Jesus Christ, who, who wants to submerge people, not just in water like John the Baptist, but submerge people in the spirit of forgiveness and giving. Why is forgiveness so important? It's, I mean, I, I was actually contemplating this this week when I was out on the desert. Forgiveness is absent. If we want to get into the healing, you got to have forgiveness. You know, I, I heard somebody who became you know, a, uh, a massage therapist. My daughter studied to be a massage therapist for a while and she, she now, she's not, she's not doing that. And, uh, it, she had a knack for it. Uh, cause she could just touch somebody and she would feel the pain in that person and that person's pain would be instantly relieved. But she would feel their pain. And there was a, a massage therapist who she said, you know, when taking all her courses, they got into reiki and they talked about, you know, Japanese massage, uh, reiki and, uh, and, she talked about chakras and everything. And she goes, oh, well, that's just part of the course. And so she learned it and everything. But she didn't believe in any of it. And then one day she touched a patient to to do a massage therapy on him. And her heart started palpitating. Started to, like, skip beats. And she took her hands off and it stopped. And she put her hands back in a certain place and it started again. And... That person's heart was an irregular heartbeat. They had a problem, and they knew they had the problem, but when she touched them, she felt the problem in her. And she realized there's something to this. And she said it took her six months before she could say words like chakra without laughing, because she just didn't, but she believed that there's something to it, and there's something, is something to it. But, of course, she mentioned Chakra or kundalini or any of these things and people immediately, oh that's new age, oh that's demonic and all this stuff. It can be. And this is this is my point, is that you're gonna be laying hands on other people. You need the power of the Holy Spirit fully in you to protect you or you're gonna pick up their garbage. And so you you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you draw near the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, forgiveness is a huge part of it. You have to forgive all those people that taught you the lies and the half-truths of religion that got you to be a worker of iniquity. You have to forgive them. You have to love them. You have to care about them. You have to be willing to put your actions uh, into service for them. Because Christ came to serve everyone in hopes that they might be saved. That needs to be your spirit, too. You can't do that unless you forgive everybody who's wronged you, deceived you, fooled you, misled you, betrayed you. If you can't stay married to the same woman or the same husband, that's a problem. You say, oh, but I'm developing a relationship with this other person. i got to go off with that other person. Because they offer me something I'm not getting from my present spouse. Whoa. Then your relations are all about you. (laughs) What you can get. What you can receive. That's not Christ. Christ didn't come for what he could get. He came for what He can give to others. Stay faithful to your family. Then stay faithful to your congregation. But always stay faithful to righteousness. Learn to immerse yourself in the forgiveness of Christ. Not just water, but in the forgiveness of Christ. In the sacrifice of Christ. In the blood. Because all that blood stands for is sacrifice. I mean, it also is the DNA of Christ. And we talk about spiritual DNA. You need to submerge yourself in the way of Christ. So you have to become a doer of the Word. If you're not becoming a doer of the Word, then you're not, you're not submerged. (laughs) You don't really believe in Christ. You can't, I can't keep you from it. If you really Submerge yourself in the blood of Jesus Christ. In the way of Jesus Christ. You will want to do what he commanded. He commanded you to sit down in companies. In ranks of 50. In ranks of a 100. In ranks of 1,000. thousand, and ten thousand. 10,000. if you were to do that, you would prepare for the evil that cometh. Because it cometh. But you're not prepared because evil can get into you. You don't have the full armor of God. Full of our armor of God includes forgiveness and giving. It includes humility and, and the virtues. You you need those things to put on that armor. Otherwise, evil will get into you. I've, I've seen the battle uh recently in myself. Every day. We we struggle with these things. Paul struggled with them. Peter struggled with them. You will struggle with them. You come together, not just to lean on everybody else, but to be a support to everybody else. And then you will find the Holy Spirit in your midst. And that will give you your strength. That will give you your protection. And that will give you the power to heal. It's... You never really have the power to heal. But the power to heal will work through you. If you have the power to heal, you will lose it when you heal. It will go out of you. And we saw it go out of Christ. Christ said, who touched me? Because he felt the virtue go out of him. It was an interesting way of putting it. The virtue went out of him? Did he suddenly become unvirtuous? You know, it flowed through him. Because he was a conduit of the Holy Spirit, and it came and descended upon him and stayed with him. And that's what you need. You, you know, you, it's not just what you think. You know, all the apostles thought Jesus Christ was great, but some of them betrayed him. Some repented of that betrayal. Some maybe not. So you believe? You say you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The devil does that. Are you a doer of the word? Are you gathering together for the purposes of Christ? In the name of Christ, in the way of Christ, in the character of Christ. Are you gathering together to serve? If you get did you get married in order to serve your spouse? Are you get married because you were getting something out of it? You know, you you only get so many chances you're going to have to commit to righteousness and carry out your commitments to the end that's the way it works that's that's you know that's honor you have parents are you taking care of your parents uh, or are you letting somebody else do it and you do no more art for your parents. It's a constant struggle to find out and but again, you know, I didn't go into it, but we we have a page on meditation. I've been doing a lot of study about autoimmune diseases and that's it's more rampant. Autoimmune problems today are more rampant than heart disease, more rampant than cancer. And it's killing people and they don't even know how many people it's killing because you don't always see the symptom. It's not so clear because autoimmune is not really a disease. It's not like you can look under a microscope and see an actual bacteria or something. But uh, there are symptoms that you can categorize as autoimmune. But autoimmune is an identity problem. Your immune system does not know who you are and what's in you. Now, there's a lot of a lot of things going on. We don't have time to get into all of it. But meditation, on almost every case where people have overcome autoimmune problems, meditation was considered by them a key factor in overcoming it. Now, there's actual physical problems, leaky gut and... And um, biological reactions to certain substances. And there's a lot of toxins out there. And like I say, food and all food is toxic. Uh So, the, but your body can adjust to it. But things can interfere with your body adjusting to it. I mean, there are people been, you know, saints who have been held in prisons and fed garbage. uh And they actually, their health prospered and uh, they did well they've been lost at sea and were able to drink the seawater. and you could actually see that this is the reports is that the water around the boat where he sat became clear and did not taste salty to anybody else in the boat and they were able to drink of the water and they stayed in the boat for a long time drinking the water around them in the ocean because the salt moved away from the boat. (laughs) So Now, maybe that's not true, but that's the story. So the reality is, is the miracles are there waiting for you to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness with your whole heart, mind, and soul. And in order to do that, you must come together according to the command of Christ. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless.